This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is, well, going through the sanitizer at a reasonable rate of knots. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, even in these dark times, Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. How are you? I will just... I, I, well, I'm good, but I'll just note that I'm not a real doctor, so don't come with any of your uh, you know, flu or COVID problems or whatever else it is. Uh, my only recommendation is just use your sanitizer. My, my wife is also a doctor, but not a real doctor. And uh, when people ask you, I'm a doctor, but not the sort that helps people. <laughs> my wife has a PhD in education. You have one in computer science, for those listeners who, who don't yet know. Is computer science the right? I, I use that as a, a general description. Is that fair? That's fair. Oh, okay. well, that's, that's exactly what it's the a, degree says. Okay, good. I was going to say, it's about as, as bad as details as I can get when it comes to computer stuff. So any more detail than that, we'll go with that. Um, tangent already. Nice start, mate. That was good. We didn't just even get through the how are you question without a tangent. Well, I figured I'm not going to answer the how are you question and instead go into a ta- tangent because, you know, yeah, I have look. mixed feelings about the how are you. So, and, and look, here's the funny thing, mate. So we will, we have for weeks, we will for weeks talk about coronavirus. Um, and I'm kind of in two minds about it, right? The, on one hand, I don't want our listeners to get bored and say, bloody coronavirus, here we go again. That's probably part of the audience. There's also another part of the audience who are thinking right now, you guys have got to tell me what's going on here because there's so much just changing the markets all over the joint. We're recording this on Thursday. We're moving our recordings forward today to Thursdays, not because of coronavirus, by the way, just because it helps the production uh, for the good people at Triple M. So we'll do that most of the time from now on. As we record this, the market's actually up 1.6% this morning. So a rare bit of green on the market. Now, as we're well and truly used to, by the time we finish the podcast, it could be up five or down three, such as such is the, the market these days. We will talk about coronavirus because it matters for uh, the market. It matters for us. It matters for our listeners. It matters for share prices. And of course, that's what we're here for. And it does matter at some level in the, uh, for the economy and, and society as a whole. So we'll do it and, and we'll try and make it entertaining and interesting and informative and kind of just keep keep our, you know, keep our, uh, uh, keep our tone upbeat, try and make it interesting, make it informative, make it useful. Uh, but also we're not going to dodge the big issues just because it's business as usual, right? Because it's not business as usual. Things are happening. We want to we want to start talking about it. So that's how we'll start. Then we'll do a little bit of macro and then we'll move on to the questions. We are getting a heap of questions in. Um, in a few minutes, I'll give you the social details to get us with a with an email question uh, on social or email. Basically because right now it feels like the number of questions are, are hotting up, mate. There are plenty of people out there who obviously influenced by what's happening on the market at the moment are saying, guys, you've got to tell me what to do. Here's my question. What should I do? And I think that's the right thing to do and it's the right thing for us to do. So we'll try and keep it interesting as always. And I'll say this later on as well. But if you have suggestions and comments and feedback for us on the podcast, uh, are we doing too much corona, not enough corona? Are there any topics you want us to cover? We'll do that. The simple reality, guys, is that there's just not as much happening at a company by company level that's not coronavirus related and that is actually kind of material, right? Chairs across the board are getting absolutely whacked by coronavirus pessimism. A little bit of optimism this morning, but who knows, as I said, where we finish. And so that, that is the big issue, right? Whatever's happening at a company by company level is just immaterial compared to what's happening with corona. And that's why we're spending more time on that than Company X's announcement about something going on. So with that massive preamble, mate, um, let's just let's just go through some of the key, you've done the agenda for us today, thank you, some of the key headlines. And then I'll just get you to reflect on it in general. So only this morning, we've heard that Qantas is going to stand down two thirds of its workforce. It's cancelled most of its international flights, I think. 90%. Not all, 90%. Virgin has cancelled all of its international flights. Qantas has dropped half of its domestic. I don't know about Virgin. Um, Tasmania has closed its borders. So the kind of, you know, we're an island nation. Tasmania is an island state. And they're saying, we're all right, thanks, Jack. You, you, guys, you guys are on your own or we're on our own or something. Uh, so there's that. Afterpay got absolutely destroyed yesterday on the market. I take no no joy in saying that, but there's very little way to sugarcoat that down 30%. 
Fair to say, by the way, it's down less than some of the travel stocks I hold, so I, um, I'm not going to poke any fun. Speaking of which, companies are pulling guidance at a rate of knots. I love they're doing that, by the way. Not the reason they're doing it, but I've been on my high horse about that. Uh, we've seen Qantas and the and Virgin being given a $715 million free kick from the government. Job ads are down, according to Seek. Mate, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. <laughs> maybe maybe just get, get, well, rather, rather than actually be trying to give you a question just give us your thoughts on on where we're at with coronavirus what on earth is going on yeah so i mean the coronavirus um uh, situation drama um you know is There's not enough words for it is there? yeah it's still unfolding in my view um I, I think at a very high level i think the the big important news is basically the u.s has mm. locked itself its borders are completely closed it, it this morning announced the border with Canada is also going to be closed. Canada has locked its borders. It mm. had locked its borders mm. to everyone except for the Americans. Wow, okay. Uh, the Americans are saying no. <laughs> we, are, we are going to close our borders to them. Was uh, it by mutual agreement? Do you think it was the Yanks or the Canadians or a bit of both? Uh, I think it's like, you know, I think there's a lot of trade flow. And I mean, it's a little bit like New Zealand and, uh, and uh, Australia, but with right. the difference being that, you know, that's an open, big, long border for those two countries, right? Whereas ours is separated by water. Mm. Um, so and there's a lot of trade that flows between those two countries. But but I think it's significant that they've closed their borders. A lot of the, the American states mm. have gone into what's called lockdown, where they basically unless something is essential service it does not operate right, okay. um, schools are closed uh, schools are closed now in the UK um, pretty much most of Europe is in lockdown mm. and so I mean you know except for parts of Asia the world is in lockdown mode and uh, mm. you know frankly my expectation is we're going to see more lockdowns because um, you know we are sort of trailing uh, in in terms of the news mm. uh, flow so that's the, I think, and that's maybe the that's maybe the biggest. This, this is a funny one, right? So this this decline is about the fastest I can remember seeing in my in my time in investing. Yeah. Yet it still is a bit of a rolling thing, and it's you know I mean if you think this is bad in terms of duration, not you personally, our listeners. Um, if you weren't investing during the GFC, I and mean, that that was dragged, that felt like just death by a thousand cuts. It was just yeah. this continuous morass of just just slow, uh, sometimes a bit fast, but broadly just slow kind of, you know. Um, deterioration kind of you know almost like rust just sort of taking over the market this one's been much faster but still feels like it's taking a long time and to, in part I think and you mentioned this morning I'll, I'll throw you in a, in a hole here um, you mentioned this morning you know to some degree this is just because you used the phrase by a thousand cuts although it's you know fewer than maybe the GFC but in the sense that it does feel like there's this rolling bit of news of kind of you know the next thing the next thing the next thing both in terms of infections lockdowns changes to government policy here overseas there is something about the you know just that that sheer just crushing weight of rolling news yeah i think that's right i, I think what, what the, the, psychologically and there are many things that is happening here so i think um it is really hard in western democracies to mm. actually go to lockdown i think right, that's a right, psychological right. barrier to it right yep, yep. and and it, a legal barrier at some level i suppose psychological <laughs> legal you know you have to declare emergencies and so on yeah. so i think that is one part of it the other part is that i think some governments have been faster some have been slow i've been very critical of what has been done mm. here i think we are just progressing it very slowly and i mm. think we should have been much faster that's my personal opinion and it's not the opinion of the fool um a, the, I mean, the other thing I'll say is that I think there has been an element of miscalculation. Mm. 
Right. And and I say this because I read this beautiful report from experts at the Imperial College in the UK. Um, now you sent me that. I haven't got to it yet. Where can people find that? Mate? Yeah. So it's all it's all online. I've okay. actually you know and there's like a big tweet streams going around okay. about it. Uh, it's actually the report that resulted in the the herd you know let's do the herd immunity thing in the UK being rolled out and then being <laughs> yeah. rolled back because they basically the report actually did not recommend that. Right. Um, so I think a big thing that people I think misunderstood and frankly I didn't get it either like you mm. know I, I I thought that this is going to be big but I didn't really comprehend the the scale yeah right and I think that's I think the scale comprehension has been you know lacking among people among investors among politicians among decision makers among uh, policy makers and I think that's part of the problem because you know Things happen slowly. Oh, today we're going to do this. Tomorrow we're going to do this. Tomorrow, oh, we need to now do this, right? (laughs) And that's almost the... It's exactly like the death by a thousand cuts. It's much better to actually accept, okay, we need to do all of this. Mm -hmm. But if we do all of this, we'll get back on our feet much quickly, you know, at a faster pace. And I I think what shook people is the deaths and the the infection rate in... in, uh, in Italy now, what I'll point out: the big difference is that Italy has a higher uh, median age in terms of the the population. So I think okay. that everything does not directly translate. You can't say Italy has sixty million people; we have twenty five million people. Therefore, I divided by this much, and that, that's what we're going to get. Right. Not if, you, exactly if, you infect, that. if you infect, yeah, you know, ten, twenty year olds and ten, eighty year olds, you're going to have a different death rate. Diff- across different the two death, ra- death rate, right. different spread rates, and all those things. Right, but right, right. what? At a very high level, what um, the UK uh, Imperial College report basically said is, if we do nothing, we are looking at a World War II level catastrophe. Wow. Right? And those things can really push back our highly connected economies mm-hmm. really behind, mm-hmm. right? You know, significantly impact the highly connected economies. And that's why I think when people got around to understanding that, I think people have gotten down to this lockdown mode. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's the other thing that's, I think, causing people to worry about things is the unfortunate thing about the lockdown is it actually works while the lockdown is in progress but you can't run an economy with lockdown right i mean if everything is locked by down, well, they, right. by definition, the economy is basically not functioning, right? Net- Netflix is fine and, and email is fine and maybe mobile telecommunications, that's no, but, about it. But even Netflix is not fine, right? In the sense right. that, well, people have no money to pay for Netflix. I mean, how are they going to watch for Netflix? True, you true. know, that's the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. So you need people to be able to be out and about. I mean, right, that's right, absolutely right. necessary. Yeah. So, you know, we can say that Netflix is fine. It's fine for the time being. Yeah, yeah. It's fine maybe while the government is paying you, but it can't yeah. be fine long term. Right, right. So, I mean, ultimately, everybody is affected. Yeah. So we need this thing to go away. So what... I think the problem is, is you could lock down, and and I'll say our prime minister said this too that you know the moment we lock down, we're going to be locked down for a long time because mm-hmm. the moment you can't lock down for two weeks and open up, because yeah. it'll again begin. I guess that that's my sense of probably part of the reason why we in Australia have been reluctant to do that because there's just that sense of as you as you rightly say, what you know what I've been critical of. Sorry, a bit of attention. I'll let you go again, but. I, I I wish the government and the medical professionals had said, here are the steps we will take. At certain uh, when when the health crisis meets certain preconditions, so uh, which then lets you do both, right? Let you say, at this point we will stop gatherings of five hundred people. At this gathering of hundred, at this stop, at this line we'll stop close schools. And then by definition, it gives you the point at which you know they can be reopened in a really, really transparent, clear way for everybody. That sense of, don't worry, we'll kind of let you know when something changes. I think that's part of the uncertainty that people are feeling is I don't know how bad this gets, when it gets bad, how they deal with it. To, to some degree, as you say, if you if you start locking down, say schools, for example, how do you decide when to send this when to send the kids back? I mean, that's that's months in theory. 
Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I, I agree with that. I, I think that makes sense. And again, there, there are the flow-on effects. Like if you, if you close the schools, then basically what happens is, well, those people who, you know, who need the kids to go to school so that they can go to work <laughs> yeah, is, right. is, a, is a problem. Right, you know, right. And again, there's, you know, the teachers um, have, you know, they are stuck at home, right? And yeah. there's, a, there's a whole flow-on effect. But I, I think, you know, again, I, you know, I have been very critical on Twitter and I'll be continue to be critical. The, large, the reason I've been critical is, you know, one of the advantages of being an island nation Mm. is that you can actually quarantine the country. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you can run the local economy yeah. entirely. Yeah, yeah. And you could have done very high level of contact tracing and infection tracing. Yeah, right. But I think the desire to, you know, because tourism is a big portion of the economy, mm-hmm. that is the unwillingness to take that hit have taken that hit and then you know given support to that community mm-hmm. uh, to that industry and said well let's try to do tourism inside australia we'll yeah. still do very heavy contact tracing and let the other part of the world actually try to figure out mm-hmm. what's going on there let them do the lockout and then maybe when there's a vaccine we can open everything in you know it's again it, it with the benefit of hindsight it's of course easy to say but i mean the our our you know our border closing policies i think where you know neither here neither there we you know we said no chinese then we mm-hmm. but we let some mm-hmm. koreans in then we said oh but we let certain people in then we said <laughs> oh if you're from italy then we're going to ask you some questions you yeah. know it was like you know we could have just said we're just going to close our borders for two months right, right, right. So, you know we love tourists we love people to come here but for two months nobody's coming yeah right and uh you know, that, I, I think that's part of the, uh, I think part of the criticism. And then we could have actually run the local economy for a much longer period of time. Mm. Um, anyways, th- those are my thoughts. Again, I'm no expert. This is what I have surmised based on uh, reading various reports. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, and uncertainty is something that the market does not like. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that, I mean, we are absolutely in that in that position. I guess I, I underestimated it early on too. I think you know, to some degree. We saw SARS, we saw MERS. The, the, the point at which you, it, it's a funny one, right? That's the problem with exponential stuff is, by the, you know, the point of time by, by which you realize it's too late, it's literally too late because you just, the spread is so phenomenally quick. I don't know if you have a view yet, mate, and we're going massively away from investing here, but, you know, what, at what point do, what point should we have as a global community realize this was bigger or Badder than MERS or SARS, because you know if we'd if we'd have locked down the, the the country when SARS was first announced or uncovered or diagnosed or whatever, we could have caused massive economic damage for something that really caused no economic impact at all. MERS the same sort of thing. MERS was the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. SARS was severe, acquired, severe acute, whatever it was. Um, I mean, you know, th- those were, and I think to some degree, that's I, I would I would absolutely say I I I I, t- I was too slow to do or to, to think we need to take drastic action i dare say that was probably the the reaction of many people who again thought the same thing what what was the was there a you know, in hindsight maybe even at the time but, but give me give me give me some uh, exit here give me some way out um you know at what point did you realize or did people realize or should we have realized this wasn't sars that it was some you know hugely larger beast so uh, uh, like uh, i didn't frankly realize it is going to be that big a deal um, because had I realized, I would have done <laughs> something different. Even oh, well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, I, I think here's here's what I think. Like, you know, I'm not a public policy expert, and I'm not a virologist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But plenty of virologists and public policy experts, you know, anybody who actually understands these things, yeah. could have probably seen what was going around in China, yeah. and could have forecast that this is not a Chinese problem. Because, I okay. mean, um, given, I think the point at which China started locking down its complete country and its supply chain yeah. was the time 
for the rest of the world to also say, okay, we are now going to get really strict. I think what happened is the the rest of the world basically locked out China, yeah, but did not lock out each other. Right. And I think that was the fatal mistake that we made. So it was it, it, we didn't do it with SARS either, right? We were okay. So was it was it the but was the, the rate of spread or yeah, the, like what the, was the number of number of like cases, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, very soon Italy's going to have more deaths than China, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I mean, but it's it's that yeah, the, right. The, the severity at which things happened in Wuhan yeah. should have been, for any public uh, policy expert, yeah. a, a point at which they should have, you know, given advice. And, you know, I think it's again the thing that you know people never really think. You know, there's data coming out. Uh, you know, um, I don't know. Part of it was you know panic management as well. Like you know, people were doing. You know, maybe people understood and they were doing panic management. Oh, let's not panic. It's not a pandemic. The, you know, it's not a yep. pandemic yet. It's yep. not a pandemic yet. Um, but even, uh, you know, uh, here's the thing. The day the pandemic was announced, yeah. even that day was the day where everybody could have said, okay, yeah. it is now a pandemic and we've, they're going to close the borders. Threshold. This is a yeah. threshold. Yeah, yeah. That didn't happen. It has still yeah. not happened here in oh, no, Australia. I, I agree right? with that. I'm more thinking about the point bet- between the Wuhan kind of uh, acknowledgement and the, and the pandemic. I, I think you're right. This we, I'm also suggesting that now is the only time we've known well enough at all at yeah. government level. I'm just thinking at some point it was, this might just be SARS, yeah. and at some point it crossed to, Oh God, this isn't SARS. That was, I think, to my mind, before the pandemic announcement. It, yeah. it just seems. What was it? Was it the spread that the kind yeah, of? Yeah, I think the spread. The right, spread okay. at Wuhan. But you know, like for me, the flip switch was, you know, a few days before the world, you know, World Health Organization basically came out and said this is a pandemic, yeah. or it's, you know, it's likely to be a pandemic. That yeah. was for me the flip switch. Like, okay, if we don't do anything, and by at that point, mm. I think we in Australia were fairly protected, you know, right. but, you know, we still continued mm. with what we were doing. And I yeah, think, yeah. you know, um, yeah. That uh, was a pretty clear line of the sand, the, the, the um, determination by the WHO that it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it was, that wasn't, that was not unequivocal. There was, un- and, and the moment that, dis- you know, there were countries, like there were countries in which, you know, of course they don't have the healthcare system. Like, so India, for mm. example, the moment that n- announcement came, immediately froze yeah. its borders completely. Yeah, yeah. Because, Yes, you know, it has a huge population and doesn't have the best of best medical facilities. Right. So it decided, well, this is the time to close. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, not doing anything at that point, basically in my mind, is basically skating on thin ice yeah. and basically playing with lives. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, I, I think that was a big policy failure again um, at that point, not doing anything. I wonder if we were just too keen I'll say as a country, but even the, most of the West, too keen to be seen as reasonable people. We won't overreact. We won't upset the apple cart. We'll just try and manage it. Was there a sense that maybe just just trying to be reasonable was was what was behind some of that? No, I don't think it's reasonable, right? I think it's more... Uh, my sense here was that there was an over... There was too much, at least in Australia, my impression was that there's, there's a too much of a focus on saving the economy and not saving lives. Yep. Whereas I think... The order in which I would have thought about this is if you're a Western democracy with a uh, very high quality of life, the first thing that comes is lives. So yep. you save lives first. Yep. If you save lives and there is no panic, yep. the economy will be fine. Yep. Right? And you could do the both two together, but if you have to choose one, you save lives of course. first. Yep. But what we decided to do as a group is we decided we're going to save the economy. We were talking about stimulus and what we're going to do for you know small businesses and so on. And all of that is great, yeah. right? Uh, maybe just send checks to people, right? I mean, that's maybe the solution. But you know, instead of actually working on solving the problem we were trying to solve, 
the secondary problem that is mm. going to happen mm. because mm. of the primary problem, right? Yep. It's you need to address the. It's like you know, if you're treating uh, cancer, if mm. you can't, if you're not. If you're treating the symptoms, you're actually not doing anything. Yeah. The cancer is going to come back. Yeah, right. right? So th- this this is exactly like that. We were treating the symptom, not the disease, yeah. right? And um, and I think that that in my mind is what was the failure. Yeah, I think it's right. I, I have I have a little bit of sympathy for policymakers who have to with everything draw a really uncomfortable line between those things at all times. Yeah, you know, I said, if we locked everything down when SARS was announced, just in case it got worse, it would have been a terrible overreaction. I think to some degree that having, SARS was probably the worst thing that could have happened to us when it came to coronavirus, right? Because we yeah. thought we saw, I say we, I don't mean me, or I'm, I'm certainly not involved in, no, no one's asking me for advice on public policy, thank God. Um, to some degree, we saw that went, oh, it'll probably be like that, or maybe it'll just be like a flu. And then it was kind of, we waited to, that's what I mean about the reasonable person thing. We kind of waited to go, let's not overreact. Let's just, let's just wait to the evidence. Let's make sure we're not doing, you know, we're not, we're not killing the golden goose before we need to. I agree with you completely about, you know, we're definitely well past that point now. I just, I feel a little bit of sympathy for those policymakers who, it's like everything, right? You set a speed limit knowing some people are going to die. You have to, by definition, do do some sort of trade-off. The policy, public policy does require that squishy and really messy, uncomfortable conversation around, you know, what are we prepared to, like everything, we, we fund homeless shelters to X degree. We know that the net result of that is homeless people will die in the streets. Again, some people listening will say, we should fund more. Some are saying we should fund less. I don't want to get into that that particular topic. Just that all public policy requires some trade off, as, as messy and uncomfortable as that is. Well, I think so. Trade off definitely makes you know it's something that you have to do. Like yeah, uh, and and it's a, it's, it's a reasonable thing um, to expect in a democracy. I, I think you know for me, like the line in sand was if the WHO is saying it's a pandemic, and if you still are going to put your head yeah, in the I, sand, yeah. <laughs> then your head is in the sand. Yes, and and um, yeah. even even on that day, I. Still remember you know there was a you know we just carrying on <laughs> yeah. uh normally i think i think yeah I'd, again uh, i i think maybe not before that but at least on that day yeah. within you know a few days taking a decision and you know being decisive mm-hmm. you know you, you know these are situations where decisive actions probably matter yeah. right um and not being decisive is probably the the worst thing one could do, but anyways, I, I think you know we're probably deviating a bit. bit in, uh, it's a little <laughs> from, the, from the investing topic. So let's get back to the investing. Let's topic. take a break and talk about stocks. Motley Fool Money, financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, buddy. So uh, we have taken a massive deviation. Look, we kind of need to, right? This is the problem. There's. It, we don't want to, so as investors, we don't want to get caught in the public policy dis- debate and get distracted from our core jobs. And when I say investors, I mean us as professionals, but also all of our listeners as managing their own portfolios, right? There is a difference between the public policy decisions and conversations and what we should do with stocks. But as importantly, they are, un- they, they, you, know, you can't break the link. They are absolutely intrinsically linked together because what happens in the public policy realm and the, the public health realm therefore impacts the economy, therefore impacts our companies. So you can't divorce the two. You have to have a view on, on, at least some version of Corona to work out what happens. What happens next? So let's let's go to that, mate. So I, I want to say outright for, for our listeners who maybe are not haven't haven't had a chance to think this all the way through yet. I know you've got some other thoughts. You'll you'll add in a second. First thing I want to say is we will have a recession and it will be ugly. And so if there are people out there who are listening to the government and or governments, and again this is not a political. It's a it's a it's a you know 
regulatory legislative policy, you know, this is agnostic, we will have a recession. It will be bad. Um, it will possibly even be to see declines in economic activity of double digit figures. I don't remember the last time that happened. I don't haven't looked at the numbers. Um, it's just because as you've already said, and we've already said, there will be a, a meaningful reduction in economic activity over the next months. And again, we don't know how many months, but we almost can't not. The, the, the amount of retail sales that are falling away, the retail trade that's falling away, um, you've already mentioned job ads are down, Qantas is laying off staff. Um, you know, the, the, this is going to get bad. And I don't think we necessarily need to avoid investing on that basis. And we can talk about the investing implications in a second. But I want to be really clear just because maybe it's one of those things that people kind of don't say out loud because we shouldn't or they feel like they shouldn't. Again, that reasonable man problem or reasonable person problem of, you know, well, we'll just see what happens and maybe it'll be okay. And look, there are scenarios in which we don't have a recession, but they are very small and, and extraordinarily unlikely. Um, it's almost certainly going to happen. So that that's we just need to accept that. No, that's going to happen. I don't want anybody else to be surprised by that. Um, I, don't, I don't want to freak anybody out. Um, but I want you to be prepared for that. So that's that's the first thing I want to say in terms of what we should expect. Um, stock market wise, I don't know what we're going to expect in terms of how bad this gets, how long it lasts, how quickly it recovers. You can't know that. Um, there've been very long and grinding falls like uh, 2008, nine, for example. There've been much sharper falls and, and recoveries. The 87 crash, believe it or not, people talk about 987 and many of our listeners are probably too young to remember that. The market was actually up for the year of 1987, believe it or not. It had risen that much between January and October. By the time it fell 25% in a day, the market still ended the year positive. So, you know, there are there are very, very different patterns to how these kind of things happen. Now, I expect this to be longer because there's a real world issue that is still going to play out and the uncertainty we've talked about. Um, you said, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but as we walked into the room, um, that, you know, if we if we'd actually had all of the bad news out, the restrictions, the whatever, whatever action was going to be taken, if they were taken quickly, um, and decisively, we may well have got rid of the shock and then been into, if not recovery, at least management mode, right? Like this is as bad as it gets in terms of the decision we're going to make. Let's now work on what happens next. Let's kind of get used to it and move forward. You kind of can't rebuild till you stop pulling the wall down, right? And I feel like to some degree, we're still pulling the wall down. Maybe we're putting it up if I change the metaphor, given given the lockout up possibilities. So to some degree, that's kind of happening. But really important at an economic level, just just know this will get bad. Um, and we need to be careful. Now, I, I know you want to talk about this, so I'll, I'll throw you the, the, the lead-in question that you can talk about it. Um, We've got some questions for our members as well. So it's a really nice way. We'll do mailbag in a minute. Um, but one of the questions is straight out about balance sheets. Now, um, we talked about this last week. So it's not new, new news. We've got a question from Chris during the week. He says, hi, Scott and Doc. We'll get them proper mailbag in a second. But hi, Scott and Doc. Raised, Doc raised an interesting point about companies being at risk of going bust if they don't have a strong balance sheet. Might be in breach of covenants and not generating cash yet, et cetera, et cetera. I definitely invest long term and I haven't sold anything yet. I have around 25 companies in my portfolio chosen from our services. Unfortunately, I don't have time to review their most recent results myself. Is something you and your teams have been doing. I haven't seen many changes from buy to hold or sell on both scorecards. Doesn't mean the above risk is not changed due to a coronavirus for the recommended companies materially. Great podcast. Thanks, Chris. So we're going to know our service and our companies in a minute, mate. But just give us a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a run through on balance sheet um, well, we, we, I did this a little bit last week, but I just want to, I just want to cover it in more detail because it is something that you, you mentioned earlier that you don't think we've done necessarily enough work on with our listeners. So just give us the give us the rundown on, on the impacts of whether we call it debt, balance sheet, cash flows, all that stuff in, a, in, a, in an environment where we have a material economic slowdown. 
Yes, that's a, that's a, it's a brilliant question to ask. And um, I'll say that, yeah, our teams have been doing that. We've been actually going through the companies that we have recommended, um, looking at what they've done, say, in the last year in terms of, you know, their cash flow, their investing cash flow. Um, and again, you know, what is the free cash flow? Mm. And what's their debt levels? Um, and how much cash do they have the balance sheet? I think that is absolutely the question to ask mm-hmm. uh, at this moment. And the reason it's important is when when things are good in good economic times, actually, you know, that doesn't matter that much, right? And we tend to forget <laughs> about it. But think about a business that, let's say, has $200 million of debt, um, $100 million of cash, mm-hmm. and let's say generated, you know, an operating cash flow of, say, $10 million last half. Okay, now, my audio is not great for, for numbers. So $2 million of debt. Yeah, hundred million dollars no, no, of cash. Two hundred million dollars of debt. Hundred million of cash. Hundred million of cash. Generating ten million dollars a half. Generated, uh, generated, say an operating cash flow. Yes. Operating cash flow without yes. any investments and so on of of five million dollars. Five million dollars. Okay, and okay. five million dollars is so operating cash flow is just the amount of money that goes out for the the cost of the company buying products, making products, paying staff, doing marketing. Yeah. And the cash inflows are everything it gets from that. So it's not quite gross margin. You can't use cash flow and gross margin the same, but it's kind of the way we think about it. So before any of the big decisions around refurbishing plants, paying dividends, taking out or yeah. paying back loans, so just purely the operating cash of the business, kind of running run in stasis, Yeah, five million bucks. Okay, cool. Right. Now, in, in normal circumstances this is not really problematic there there's you know you are generating cash mm-hmm. from the business so you can you know if we, again if, if you're not making big acquisitions or mm-hmm. you're not paying a lot of in dividends and things like that and you probably you know you're probably breaking even yeah. um so you're fine you've got enough cash buffer to you know handle uh, dislocations or small dislocations right. Right? right but this is not a small dislocation right so now if you have a big dislocation and your cash flows all of a sudden basically disappear, mm-hmm. which is pretty much any travel company right now, for, yes. as an example, right? Yep. They have no cash flow. Yep. Their cash flow has basically gone to zero. Yep. Um, their operating cash flows are going to be negative. Mm-hmm. They have debt mm-hmm. and they have some cash. Mm-hmm. Now the question is how long can this company actually sustain itself in this model, right? right. Now the, the, it becomes complicated because everybody knows that you're not going to be generating any cash mm-hmm. in the near term. Mm-hmm. So whoever is going to give you money, which is whether it, whether it's from the equity people or from the debt people, yep. they you know everybody's taking basically a higher <laughs> level of risk. Yep. In other words, they're going to demand their pound of flesh when they give you money. Yep. The other problem is the market starts thinking like that, and therefore market starts discounting your cash <laughs> <laughs> share value. So this is you know yep. I mean, what I'm talking about is this is a, you know the numbers might not be accurate, but this is like basically webjet. Yep. Um, and as I have said before in the podcast, I like that business, yep. but you know, this is where some decisions come and bite you. Like this company paid eighteen million dollars, for example, in dividends, mm-hmm. but it generated operating cash flow of five million dollars or something like that last half year, right? right. This was eighteen million dollars that they could have kept yeah, yeah. in this circumstances, and it would have been actually a good decision at that point. Yeah. Uh, so the, again, Webjet has gone into a uh, trading halt and it's raising cash. I think it's a good decision to raise cash. I don't know at what price it is raising cash, but yeah. it is. This is basically going to be the difference between staying afloat or going broke. So just to pause just for a very quick second there mate so yeah as we record this literally yeah. um, five minutes before we started the podcast Webjet announced it was going to a trading halt before the market opened today yeah. and then a few minutes after that announced they are going to raise capital yeah. no more detail for us yet than that so we can't yeah. we don't know if you're, if you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday or Sunday yeah. and you know the information then you're a step ahead of us we'll know it by then too yeah. but as we record this 
All we know is they're raising capital. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be absolutely honest. Like, you know, Evaps is a comp- company we have rep- recommended at Extreme Opportunities. It's really incredibly hard. Like, you know, I've been thinking about this question. It's incredibly hard to, I don't know, I don't want to make, you know, it, it sound like I'm giving an excuse, but it is incredibly hard to figure out at what point does it really look really cheap, yeah. right? And and because this is such a dynamic situation, it's really hard to know how long this continues. Mm. Um, but yeah, under a pessimistic circumstance scenario, um, the company could potentially go broke, right? Which is why they're again trying to raise cash. So you know, yesterday, we after a lot of deliberation, we moved Webjet to hold, and we moved another company to hold as well uh, in the travel uh, travel sector. Um, mm. And then I could, we have to look at what this cash raise is, and you know how much buffer does it create, and that might change our view. But again, it's really hard because if you take a reasonable here's here's the way I look at it: if Webjet gets through this without mm. dying, mm. <laughs> then today's price is excellent. Right. But there is an element of and I don't, you know, it's again, that depends on how you're looking at it and how long this continues and a lot of other variable factors. How long does it take for travel to Ex- get normalized? Exactly, yeah, that's right. Right? Um, there is, you know, the, the other thing that's playing in my mind, and this is something I'd, I'd ask everybody to consider, is the Northern Hemisphere is going to go into summer. We are going to go into flow season, mm-hmm. which means our pain has only begun in that sense, mm-hmm. for at least from a travel point of view. Yep. And therefore, it could be that while the Northern Hemisphere normalizes in three months, we actually normalize in six, seven months, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. we might actually be closed for, nobody might want to actually come here to catch the flu or risk catching coronavirus here, right? right? right, right. So that's another factor I think that has to be considered. Um, yeah, so I mean, the, again, like, you know, in a normal in the normal, this is not, I would, again, I want to point this out, and, and I'm not, not, you know, I'm personally guilty of being too late to put it to hold or, you know, if, if I had the full benefit of hindsight, to, you know, mm. to sell it before. Mm. But it is really, really incredibly hard for to make this decision because the information, the market reacts to information and sometimes reacts very harshly, <laughs> right? right. Um, yep. And then when you look at the stock and you say, well, you know, on a, even on a forward, if you if you can project five years out, it is like dirt cheap on that yeah. five years. So here's you know, the other view to take is if you buy 10 companies that have been completely shattered, mm. And you're buying them at like you know some forward forward estimate of five times or ten times earnings, five times or eight times earnings, or some forward estimate five years mm-hmm. out. Of those ten businesses, maybe four go broke. You have to realize that. But mm-hmm. if you hold all ten, six may not go broke, right. and those six yes, that exactly. actually survive yep. are actually going to make up for the four that are going to go broke. Yes, right. But absolutely in your mind, you have to <laughs> know what you're doing. Like yep. you have to in your mind know yep. that if you are buying companies that are particularly going to be affected, you have to realize that some are actually going to go broke. Yes. And I am not going to sugarcoat it. Yes. A number of travel companies are going to go broke. Which ones? I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest about that. Yeah. If I knew, I would have taken a different decision. Exactly. Right? I don't know. Um, and absolutely in my mind, if if you are playing that game, be you know, I would play that game with a diversified portfolio because it's very mm-hmm. hard to tell which one is going to actually survive and which one is going to die. Yeah. Um, right? And, and it's, it's to the same extent, again, we're going to talk about Qantas. Like, I mean, some companies are going to get bailout from the government. That doesn't, that means the company survives as in the company's brand stays, but that doesn't mean the shareholders are actually making any money. So, there's two different things, right? right? right, right. And and the, you know, there's no real reason for the company to give a, for the government to give a bailout to Flight Center or yeah. Webjet, right? I mean, they're going to bail out the companies that actually do the stuff, not yeah. the ones that provide the the connectivity or retail, right? If if, if Flight Center doesn't exist, Qantas can keep flying. Yeah. If Qantas doesn't exist, Flight Center's got nothing to sell. Exactly. So <laughs> so so Qantas 
the company yeah. is going to stay. Qantas shareholders are going to be taken to you know the woodshed. They've already been taken to the woodshed, right? Potentially, yes, uh, yes, right? yes that's right. Uh, how much? Again, I don't know. I don't have a view on Qantas as such. Uh, and again, I've said this before too. I love Qantas. I actually fly with Qantas whenever I can. You I actually do. pay more money to fly with Qantas. <laughs> it sounds very rational. You don't pay more money for anything. And I don't, well, some things, but, 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 but uh, yeah, well, I mean, I do pay more. I, mean, I love Qantas. I love what yeah, they do. I love the company. I love, you know, their attitude towards safety. So I would support Qantas with my own dollars, but I yep. mean, I'm being yep. very practical and saying, well, some, 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 so I think this is, again, this is a type of scenario that I think is really hard to navigate mm-hmm. and it's very hard for us as, as professional investors too to as you know like you know we have we have our moments of uh you know loud disagreements and you mm-hmm. know sometimes we agree and sometimes we just sympathize with each other saying and you know as i was saying this morning like you know if you've got a portfolio of x dollars and you've got some cash <laughs> as your portfolio keeps falling at some point what happens yeah. is well yeah. it doesn't fall yeah. as much because you've got some cash <laughs> so so and at, after some time it, it seems like well you know how much worse can it get <laughs> Um, so uh, again, not to make light of anything, but yeah. you know, that's the, the reality is that there's a lot of uncertainty, mm-hmm. and and certain sectors are more hurt than others. Um, if you are taking a basket approach, you mm-hmm. probably will be okay. You have to be willing to. You need to have a stomach that mm-hmm. is going to tolerate this. Yeah. Um, and you need to have the ability to last the full hog, which yeah. means yeah. you need to tolerate. You're not going to pick the bottom, so you're going to have to tolerate going down there's going to be a lot of volatility and -hmm. you have to have that mindset that I'm going to hold stuff for five years and you know you can think of different things in different baskets and then at the end of that five year period I'm certain you're going to be okay Mm -hmm. as long again you're taking a basket approach you're being diversified and you you know you are making your bets knowing full well what the risks are yeah that's what I would say mate there's so much good stuff in there so I'm going to try and drag some of it apart because I I want to to double click on a couple things so the first thing I want to talk about is the 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 Qantas surviving as a business but not uh, not the shareholders and I think this is one of those things that some of our, our listeners may be new to um, we saw it during the GFC it happens from time to time but really rarely right so it's not it's not something that people are necessarily used to if so so let's go back to the during the GFC particularly some of the UK banks the and and we can use the example of our banks here although I'm not suggesting there is necessarily any trouble for our banks there may well be but that's not what I'm intending so just to be really clear here I'm not talking about our banks it's a whole different conversation if so the Australian if you have cash in an Australian bank one of the big banks that's government guaranteed the government will look after your cash the depositors are for all intents and purposes safe if the government's insolvent we've got massive issues so let's assume that doesn't happen again it's not impossible but let's they can, that's another conversation for a different day as long as the government's insolvent your cash in the bank, if it's, if it's a bank guaranteed deposit, is safe. Completely 100% safe as long as the government is safe. That's tick, That's relatively straightforward. If, though, the bank themselves gets in trouble, or in this case, if Qantas gets in trouble, and the government bails out a company, what they basically will do most of the time, there are some free loans being given or some, some uh, expense uh, avoidance. I'll talk about that in a second. Some uh, dispensation given to Qantas and Virgin that have to pay some bills at the moment. But if... Those guys need cash injections, actual cash from the government. It should happen, and hopefully it will happen for public policy, if not upon the shareholders, that if, if Ponus Presenter says, look, guys, we're going to go broke. We need a billion dollars of government money, please. At that point, the company's probably going to be worth $2 billion, maybe $1.5 billion anyway. And the government will say, okay, you, you, you can have a billion dollars, but we're going to take a stake in the airline as a result. And maybe that billion dollars buys the Australian government two-thirds of Qantas. The very reality is while you still own your Qantas shares, assuming the company doesn't go broke entirely and it stays listed, you own your shares, but every share you had, which was you know, effectively buying you one piece of you know, uh, Qantas' earnings, 
you're now going to be diluted by about two-thirds. So if the government was to buy two-thirds of Qantas and put in a billion dollars in that example, and again, we're not saying it will, and we're not saying you should necessarily sell your Qantas shares, though I wouldn't own them, um, that dilution is going to wipe you out. Even though Qantas itself goes on, profits may maybe even go back to normal. You will own much less of that airline as a result. So your 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 investment is being massively, massively diluted by that. Um, we've seen that happen before. In the worst case scenario, by the way, the government would buy Qantas out entirely and your shares would be worthless because they simply would just say, well, it's broke otherwise. We'll take 99% of the company. Thank you very much. Um, shares will have left with something. May not happen. In the UK, mate, I want to say it was, it was Lloyd's, Northern Rock. Was there one other? Um, that effectively were, were almost entirely, I want, to, I want to say the British government, I'm making this up, but the British government bought something like 80% plus of those banks. Um, so effectively, your, your investment falls by, your, your, your shareholding falls by, by 80%. And, and that's just the reality of it. So yes, the banks survive. Yes, in all likelihood, I can't imagine a scenario where the government lets Qantas disappear as a business, but it doesn't mean you keep any shares. So I, just, I thought it was worth kind of clicking on that. Mate, back to balance sheets for a second. I want to just quickly touch on the three ways that companies can get themselves into trouble. Uh, and then again, if you've got some comments. So when we talk about balance sheet strength, people immediately go to debt. There's also cash flow strength. And, and we kind of talk about them the same kind of things, that solvency thing that Doc talked about. So Doc, you did a great job of, of explaining if you've got debt that you can't pay because your cash flow goes away. Effectively, if you can't pay your debts um, and you can't find the cash to pay your debts, you're insolvent. And at that point, the bank says, thanks guys, but you're going to have to close. And shells get entirely wiped out, right? That's number one. Number two is you can still be able to pay your debts but not meet the conditions of the loan. And we hear us talk about covenants a lot. A covenant is a condition of a loan. You can only have this loan if you have, if your, if your financials meet these criteria. If you don't meet those criteria, it's effectively from the bank's perspective, the same as you not be able to pay the bills and the bank will say, give us all the money back now. The company says, I can't do that. And the bank says, well, we're going to send you broke. That's the second way. And even if you don't have any debt, and this is what we didn't really touch on, Doc, so I'll get your thoughts just quickly on this one. You can have zero debt. But if you're, if you're sending out more cash than you're bringing in because either you were a small growing business who already plans to do that and so that's just the reality that you're in or you're a business that all of a sudden has costs but no revenues, even with no debt, you still are in a negative cash flow position and even if you've got cash in the bank, that only lasts for so long. Think about you as an individual household. If you lost your job tomorrow for a little while, you could pay your bills because you've got a little bit of savings. You pay your electricity bill, your phone bill, your car bill. Eventually, if you don't get another job, if no more cash comes in, you get to a point where even though you've got no debt necessarily, you might have paid off your mortgage, you have no, no car loan, you can't put petrol in the car because you can't physically send out cash you don't have. And so in that case, like in all three cases, there is always the chance that companies raise capital, which is what Webjet's trying to do right now. But short of that, mate, that those are the three areas. So it's not just purely debt or the size of the debt. It can be the debt itself, absolutely, or it could be the covenants, or it can be simply a debt-free business that can't get enough cash in the door to cover its costs. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. So the you know the other thing to think about you know, think about in during good times, during growth times, um, subscale businesses, businesses that are subscale to some extent that are trying to grow to get to scale to become very profitable, um, they burn cash, as you exactly said, right? And they burn cash mm. either they raise equity at the market, um, and therefore they have cash and they use that cash to grow the business eventually to hope to become, you know, cash flow positive, mm. and. One of the things that that can happen in this sort of dislocation is, um, you know, your share price gets hit, and the people's desire to actually pony up more cash mm. to fund your business mm. desire disappears, and therefore you're left with limited amount of cash. So again, businesses can go broke because they just 
don't have enough cash and they're not generating enough cash and any cash they need to raise. And he, here's the other thing. Businesses that are not really cash flow positive find it harder and harder to raise debt because, you know, what do you secure the debt against, right? Mm-hmm. If you have no, um, again, if you're a business with no fixed property and tangible, right. then how do you actually secure that debt, mm-hmm. right? So banks find it hard to secure that debt banks, you know, the processes basically say, well, you know, everything is in, in up in the air. Yeah. How do I fund a business yeah. that, you know, let's, that's just online, right? Yeah. So I think those are the risks right now in, in my opinion. Again, like, you know, I'm, again, I'm not, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here. But, um, what I will say is that I think a basket like a portfolio like approach is very important in this context, right? Mm. You can't make a singular bet on something and hope that's going to work out. That's hope. Yeah. It's you could have strategies that you know I'm going to invest in ten subscale businesses which have huge growth potential. Some of them are probably going to run out of cash, but the mm-hmm. others, you know, um, are not. The other thing I like to say is that you know one of the things that bad times do is it is the opportunity for the best the most innovative to actually get ahead, mm-hmm. right? So some of the best businesses in the world were created during the GFC, right? So this mm-hmm. could be um, the opportunity for some of these smaller businesses that, that you know, have good business models, um, you know, good products, good services to actually excel. Their share price in the interim might be um, squashed and, you know, destroyed, but you know, some of them are going to come back. Some may not come back. And again, that, mm-hmm. you know, we have to just remember that. Um, you so, know, yeah. in my mind, acknowledging that that's going to happen is very important because if you acknowledge it, then when it happens, it doesn't destroy you. But if you don't acknowledge it, it destroys you. So in my mind, I mm. acknowledge it and I just say, okay, well, you know, then I move on and see what, how can I deal with it? Yeah, that's right. So that was the other thing I wanted to make out of your point. You made it again nicely there. But just that, I want to double underline here. The mistake I think, I'm going to say... I don't want to say most investors, Doc, and you may disagree. I think the mistake most investors make, which is one of the most fundamental, fundamental, fundamental flaws that an investor can make, is to think about stocks rather than the portfolio. So stocks rather than businesses, firstly, but the portfolio itself. And this is so incredibly vitally important. I I can't say this. Maybe, I don't know if it's necessarily more important than we've talked about because we've talked about some pretty heavy, serious stuff. But the, the idea that, you know, you don't. Yes, you own a group of stocks. Yes, individual stocks are perfect. Yes, you should think about those individual stocks as a group, right? Absolutely. But I want to make the point that our businesses in the past have done well and badly individually. When we talk about the, so like when you know, you and I talk, oh, I talk about a lot. You probably just to some degree, but I won't, won't, I won't uh, tell you with this brush about the market, right? The performance of the market. I talk about the market up ten percent per annum on average, all that kind of stuff. The first thing is almost no company. Well, the market itself doesn't do it every year on the same number. It's plus 20, minus 10, plus 50, minus 40, you know, plus 13, plus 7. These things average out to about 10%. So the first thing is that's always volatile. The second is no individual company ever does the market average return, right? The, the, the market is the sum total average of all of those companies. And, you know, and sometimes some of those companies go broke. And the market does well regardless because the market is its own portfolio. Now, it's not, you know, if you have an ETF, that is the portfolio, but you've got to think about it the same way, right? So investing works. Markets go up over time, not recently, pick up over time. Uh, some companies go broke. Some do extraordinarily well, plenty somewhere in the middle. When you buy your portfolio, you've got to think about it the same way. If you are expecting every stock to go well, you are, even in good times, not every stock goes well, right? Even in the bad times, they'll have more failures than you will in the good times. This is what happens in investing. So as Doc says about travel companies, about any company, 
You've got to look at your portfolio and say, some of these will go well, some of these will go badly. As Doc says, some that, you know, if if and when, the, the ones that do survive through this are almost certainly cheap right now, mate. Like I can't imagine any company, if, if you, if a, uh, this is a blanket statement, mate, so maybe you want, might want to moderate it for, for our listeners. Maybe you don't. Um, any company, if, if you bought almost any ASX company now, and it still exists in 2025, you're going to make money. Like I can't imagine many, I mean, the individual companies will blow up for different reasons in the meantime, but on, on kind of valuation grounds, if you think about any of the ASX 200 and think from now till then, you know, because they're so cheap right now, they're cheap because the market is freaking out about the short-term economic issues and sometimes rightly worried about solvency and frankly, whether they exist or not. In five years time, I dare say, almost all of them will be worth more than they are today just because the shares are so bashed up but they've got to be around to be that. And so again, on a portfolio level, you've got to be ready for volatility and you've got to be ready for some of those companies to really struggle and either get bought out, go broke, you know, merge with somebody else. There will be these changes. And, and if you're looking to avoid that happening with any company in your portfolio, you're going to, I think you're setting yourself up for failure, right? I mean, there probably are, you could probably have a portfolio of a, a few companies that almost certainly have no chance of that. Um, but again, if you're buying a portfolio of stocks and you're hoping to get some of the upside that happens when the market recovers, you need to accept, you need to literally ex- assume that there'll be at least one or two that don't make it. Yeah, I, I broadly agree. I mean, I mean, again, the only thing I'll be careful about if, there are, as I said, I think that there are two or three, uh, there are many approaches, actually, I should mm. never say two or three. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, if you take an approach where, you know, stuff is... Um, may go broke and is super cheap yep. that's one approach the other approach is there's also stuff that possibly is not going to go broke mm. but is not that cheap but it's right, still cheap right exactly yes, you can you yes. can have that so you can do that basket i mean i think you're right that you know a basket of diversified stocks today yep. is going to make you money as long as you don't sell, like you know, don't sell us. I've not sold a thing um, that I own, and, and again, the reason for not, well, I should have sold some, <laughs> but it's a different different matter. Uh, I just got lazy and didn't sell it. But um, but but I think again, selling out now, mm. on average, I think is a bad idea. Yeah. Right, there might be specific companies that are going to go broke again. It's very hard, as I said, if, if uh, to know which one is going to go broke. Yes, um, and that's so what yeah. on average, right? Yeah, yeah. On, on average doesn't mean that every company will have an average result. What it means is literally with a large enough sample size. Yeah. On average, you'll make money. Yeah, exactly. You'll make money, it, 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 and it, you know, and on average, there are stuff that are going to go broke. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, maybe on average, there's more pain. I don't know, mm-hmm. but if you can stomach it for now can hold through the next, let's say, three to six months or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, and then commit to actually holding for five years. I think you're going to do well. Uh, again, I, you know, um, I'm not a soothsayer. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I, that's what I feel. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's the approach and mindset you need to... I, I think absolutely what you don't want to do is you don't want to have bought two months ago, which would have been buy high, and sell today, which is be buy <laughs> yeah, low. Exactly. That is absolutely the thing that you don't want to do. With one exception, I would say. Yeah. Just for the sake of, which is if you were wrong two months ago and you now realize it, holding on just yeah. for the sake of it is not a good idea. So don't sell out for volatility's sake or for price fall's sake, which Doc's implying or suggesting. Um, if you make a mistake, if you bought a crap company or you own a crap company, you kind of go, oh man, you know, th- th- this is bad. Holding on to something then goes to zero because you'd want to sell at a loss would actually compound the problem. So don't sell that for price reasons. But if you know you've made a mistake or either it was a mistake then or circumstances have changed in the meantime, you look at that and go, yeah, I'm out. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's absolutely true. Yeah. So if if you don't like the company, you think again. I, I think it's the, the most important thing here is again your portfolio's approach, right? If your portfolio's approach is I'm going to buy X Y Z type of companies and it doesn't just fit with your portfolio approach, then maybe you should just sell it because you bought it for the wrong reason. Right. Right. Exactly. If you bought something because it is a momentum trade and then the momentum is gone out against you, <laughs> well, you know, you need yep. to reconsider that. There's no yep. momentum right now. So <laughs> the only momentum I can see is on the downside. And again, I, you yep. know, I, I just I'm not, you know, I'm not laughing, but you know, sometimes I'm laughing because yep. sometimes it's just best to laugh the pain out. Um, but but yeah, I, I think again, need to consider why you bought it, what's the thesis, yep. um, and if the thesis holds, then on on average, in a basket with a diversified portfolio, um, I think it makes sense. Beautifully done, mate. Um, we are. <laughs> No one's surprised by this. We will do a special mailbag episode this week, Doc. Um, we actually, uh, I, <laughs> we haven't not done one for a very long time, so maybe we'll always keep doing them. I'm not entirely sure. Um, we've got lots of great questions and we're, we're getting up to 50-odd uh, minutes worth of podcasting. So we will take the opportunity to, uh, to add some more questions, answer some more questions in our special mailbag podcast in a in a couple of days' time. So again, assuming the gremlins at Triple M do their job and not, not the techies, not the gremlins, the gremlins would otherwise stop the job being done. Um, as long as that happens, then you should have a mailbag episode this Sunday, which hopefully is a good thing. Particularly if you're locked inside and you can't get out, uh, have a listen to the podcast. That's got to be worth something, right? You also might have noticed in our feed this week, um, I did a Q&A on Facebook last Friday and the good people at Triple M decided to put that up and give it a go. So if it works, if you like it, let us know. If it was, the audio quality wasn't wonderful because it was recorded as a as a web thing rather than as a, a using our usual podcast quality gear. So if it wasn't great or not good enough, let us know that too. Um, hopefully it was useful. It, just a bit of extra content that you know we thought we put up because our listeners might enjoy it. If you already subscribed to our feed, hopefully that's, that's true for you. Uh, we might do stuff like that again from time to time just because... Again, hopefully it's useful. You can always just hit delete if you don't like it or you don't listen to it. Um, we're, we're not that offended, a little bit offended, but not, not too much. So um, yeah, have a go at that. If you do want to hit us up, and we hope you will because um, we're getting lots of questions, which is really awesome. Lots of people asking us um, for their, our thoughts on different topics. Obviously, a lot of it is corona-related. A lot of it's not, though, and, and some of it, frankly, is, hey, is this stuff cheap enough to buy now? Um, hit us up. If you want to email us, you can email us at info at fool.com.au. Uh, our member services team will grab that and go with that. If you're on the socials, you can actually interact with us, which is much more fun for us and for you, hopefully. Um, I give the usual socials every week or almost every week when I remember, but I'll do it again now for those who are new or haven't written it down. Why would you not have written it down? Come and follow us on Twitter. You want to follow Doc at Anirban Mahanti, A-N-I-R-B-A-N-M-A-H-A-N-T-I, at Anirban Mahanti. I'm at TMF Scott P. Again, TMF is The Motley Fool, just to help you remember that. TMF Scott P. And The Motley Fool's Twitter account is at The Motley Fool AU. Um, we tweet from time to time, Doc, on things that take our attention. I'm a much more um, strident tweeter than you are. You tend to be a little more, um, uh, what will I say? Well, I'm infrequent. infrequent. I, I tweet if word. I have something to say <laughs> or if I find something I, interesting. I've always got more stuff to say than you. I'm, I'm, more, I'm more opinionated as our listeners may have noticed. Yeah, I have, a, I have opinions. But, you know, like <laughs> I, I basically find that on Twitter there are a lot of other smart people who have a lot of interesting things to say. So I you, might mate. retweet oh, you don't stuff. Me? Um, you haven't retweeted any of mine in a very long time. Should I be offended by that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> 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 well, uh, right now I've been only tweeting about stuff about coronavirus. So, um, yeah, but, but, you know, it's a good place to... Um, it is to read and see what other people are thinking. Again, there's a lot of stuff there that you'd have to ignore. Uh, but yeah, like I'm not that frequent. You you are you know you're out there. You you know you share you know you I, I saw you shared some thoughts about Qantas there out there, which I thought was interesting. So that's my um, high horse in a minute, mate. 
Okay, yeah. There's well, a high horse coming. All right. Okay. Given, Let, let's go for the, it. You've given up the... All right. So that's Twitter, Instagram, at the Motley Fool AU, at TMF Scott P. And despite some uh, slight pressure from our listeners, Doc is still re- re- resisting moving on to Instagram. I, I'm pretty sure we're getting there. I, I, have, I haven't given up hope. I'm an optimist. Um, or, of course, you can hit us up on Facebook. Um, that's the one on my, my... My Facebook handle is different. I'm Scott Phillips Money on Facebook and The Motley Fool is The Motley Fool Australia. Um, if you go to The Motley Fool, that's our US site, which is fine and wonderful, but you won't, you won't be seeing stuff from us and you won't be able to get in touch with us. So The Motley Fool Australia is what you want to look forward to there. Mate, that is exactly where I was going next. I was going to jump on my high horse. Now, I love business. I'm a capitalist at heart. I think uh, most of most, yeah, probably, of the great developments of the last century or so have come through the hard work and effort of people who are trying to invent new things and get richly rewarded for it as they as they rightly should. Um, some is pure science, some is other stuff. So I don't want to I don't want to suggest that capitalism is the answer for everything, but it's been really really effective way of bringing the world some of the best stuff. Doc, you've got a great line about human ingenuity. Do you is that is that, a, is that one you can do off the top of your head? Yeah. So like you know, um, basically the stock market is our way of participating in the success that comes from human ingenuity, right? I mean, most of these companies that, you know, it's basically science and engineering and big ideas that people come up with and then they turn into companies. So I love that. I think that's absolutely true. Um, uh, Yeah, I I think it's, you know, um, I I call it democratic capitalism. I think as a system is the best system we've ever had. Uh, There are better things. So look, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely on board. But... I'm also someone who really cares about public policy and someone who cares about the way our country is governed and the way our money is used as taxpayers because, frankly, there's not that much of us we want the government to waste it, as Kerry Packer once famously said. Um, I think there's other things we should do differently and when I'm Prime Minister, I'll do them. But until then, I will just rant on this podcast. And I've got to say, one of the things that got my back up this week, actually the best Twitter response made for anything I've ever sent out for that one, interestingly enough, and it is the $715 million free kick being given to Qantas and Virgin. Now, I'm the first to say it's not exactly a free kick when you're desperate. It's not like saying, you know, throwing a, a life ring to a drowning man is a free kick. You do what you have to do to save somebody. All I would say is as a commercial business being given taxpayer largesse to get it through a tough time, the taxpayer is entitled to get something back from it. Now, yes, a working airline is useful. Yes, we want to have the ability for tourists and freight to get around the country and to other countries and from other countries to here. So I love the fact we have an airline that's really, really important or two in case of Virgin and Qantas. Those things are fantastic. But if we're going to give them three quarters of a billion dollars of our own money, taxpayer money, that could otherwise be spent on stimulus package, on housing, on infrastructure, on pick your, pick your favorite hobby horse tax use. If we're going to give them $715 million for it, and if this gets Qantas and Virgin through some of these times, we deserve something for that investment. Just you know, just give them a free kiss. Just, yeah, don't worry about it. It's all fine. You know, you're welcome. I work too hard. Doc works too hard. Our listeners work too hard to have that money simply just given as free kicks to commercial companies that otherwise, by the way, when they make their profits, yes, they pay some tax, but the rest of the money doesn't go to the government. The rest of the money goes back to the shareholders. So as shareholders of banks or airlines or any other company, if we're giving, if we're getting a free kick from the government, we should be giving up something in return. I think if the government's going to give the airline 715 million bucks, it is a very, very simple thing to suggest that they should get $715 million worth of shares as a result. Because quite frankly, Webjet's out capital raising this morning. They're not getting a free kick from the government for that. If you get a free kick, and I'm not bitter, by the way, about it, that's Webjet's do exactly what they should do at the time they should do it. Airlines, banks, no one else deserves a free kick at the expense of the taxpayer. It's not the government, it's the taxpayer. And so if you and I are kicking the tin for that money, 
then guess what? We should get a share in that business as a result. If the business goes broke, well, we don't. the well, shares are worth nothing. Well, guess what? We gave them $715 million. We got nothing for it anyway. If the shares are worth something after all this, then the government and the taxpayer, the society, deserves the upside for that money that was risked to help out that commercial business. I tweeted about that. Follow me on Twitter, Team F Scott P. I had a bit of a rant. And I got, mate, I, as I said to you, I got 187 likes, which for me is big. Other people, you know, if you're a Kardashian, you get like that on a, you know, Tuesday morning at 3 a.m. That was a pretty good one. Best, best picture response I've ever got, which I reckon tells me I'm right. And I like being right. I think you're right on this one. I, I think you're dead on the money on this it's unusual. one. Well, sometimes I agree with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, if my money, part of my money is being used to, and again, I love Qantas, you mm-hmm. know, then as a taxpayer, I would like to own a part of Qantas. Well, one of the things I didn't understand about this deal, though, is that is it a bailout, as in the, are they actually getting the money or are they actually getting it um, as a loan? So, so that neither, was the part that was not clear to me. Neither. What's happening is they're not going to have to pay bills they otherwise would have had to pay. So they're supposed to pay fees and charges to the yeah. government for the services and for other, other entities, I think, for the services. The government's basically giving a free pass on that stuff. But, but are they going to re- charge them later on? No, not as far as I know. Okay, so this is not a temporary thing. As far, well, temporary in the sense that the, the charge will go back at some point, but I believe there's no requirement to pay them after the fact. Uh, maybe this it's is a free a, kick. Yeah, free kick. Then. <laughs> yeah. So... Fools, I think you agree with me. Follow me, like that tweet, retweet it. Not because I just like Qantas. If you're a Qantas shelter, I'm sorry. I know I'm picking on your airline, but I'm not really. As I said, if it's a company I own, I would not love the fact that I have to give up some ownership for it. But if I'm going to go to the government cap in hand, as, as a commercial business, if I'm literally saying this thing, we, we, broke, <laughs> we broke the business, the business is broken, not our fault, but it's broken. We'd like some help, please. It's very, very reasonable for the government to say, we'll absolutely help you because you're important. We just want something for the deal. And frankly, when the US government did it, by the way, with the AIG and some of the um, business in the US during the GFC, the US government actually made money on that deal. I think, you know, that's, again, the company survived. They've gone on to good, better, bigger and better things. The government got more back than it put in. That feels like a pretty good deal for everyone concerned. There you go. That's a high horse. First one for a little while, mate. I feel good now. Listen to I, I, th- I think it's I, I think it's a great one. Listen until I, I look uh, at the market. Yeah, yeah I love it. <laughs> All right, fools. That will do us for this particular episode of Motley Fool Money. As I said, follow us on the socials. Also, if you want to find out some really great ways to invest your cash, if you're looking for investing opportunities in this market, Doc runs a wonderful service called Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities, and you can get a very special deal from us by going to fool.com.au forward slash e. EO podcast, EO for extreme opportunities. So that's fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. And you can get some of Doc's advice, some of his recommendations every single month. The guys release at least one recommendation. There was actually two last month. So there you go. Members got a little bit extra for no more money. How good's that? Um, join Doc. Join Doc and Kevin who run that service and do a fantastic job. I think you want to be there. I think you will find over the very uh, bumpy times we're going through now, coming out the other side. These guys are going to be investing in some wonderful companies and making some money. I think, no guarantees, of course, we can't do that for their members. And that does wrap us up, mate. So before we go, don't forget, you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Full Money podcast through iTunes or, of course, your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, give us a rating, leave us some stars, and please do tell your friends. We're sure they could use a little foolish straight talk too. And of course, our favorite bit, don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash... Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back, well, Sunday, with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.